This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Well, Blair and his team from Sands & Associates have a really great segment here. It's the 10 Do's and Don'ts to help you better manage your debt and avoid some of the common pitfalls that everyone experiences when it comes to borrowing. So, Blair, I know you talk to people all over the province every day who are seeking debt help. What kind of situations usually lead folks to you? You know, Elaine, for the most part, it's the unexpected. You know, a lot of people, they're generally doing just fine. They might have a little bit of debt, but they feel okay. They're managing it. They're making the minimum payments. But then something happens. You know, it's typically the life events. It could be a loss of income. It could be an illness or an injury um, or a relationship ending where you've got to reestablish perhaps two households from one before. Uh, You know, those types of life events, you know, most folks are dealing without having significant savings, without having an emergency fund. So when there's a shock to the system, it can really put people into a tough spot. And I'm excited for today because we're going to go through 10 really key do's and don'ts. We're going to get them done relatively quickly, but hopefully give a lot of value to the listeners here. Uh, And let's jump in. Okay. So number one, what's the number one thing that people should pay attention to? You know, I think the first thing is a do, and it's be careful who you take debt advice from. And, you know, many, many of us have really well-meaning, well-intentioned friends, family members, you know, maybe we know someone who's an accountant or somebody who's a lawyer, but you really have to realize um, that unless you're dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee, uh, you're not dealing with someone who can give you the best advice possible in your situation. Um, So, you know, oftentimes people come to us and they've taken the wrong actions and they've actually put themselves in the worst situation because somebody has said to them, you know, cash in this investment or, you know what, go get a co-signed loan with your parents, for example. Uh, We'll talk about why those are problems, but the really important thing is if you're finding yourself in the midst of a debt storm, you've really got to know who you can trust, who you can go to for advice, and be very careful if you're getting advice from a lender, from a collection agent, or even, again, from somebody who's very well-intentioned but just might not have the knowledge to help you. Now, I know because this segment is with you, and or the whole show is with you, and being a licensed insolvency trustee, it really makes the most sense that you'd be the first person that uh, makes sense for a person to talk to. Absolutely right, Elaine. And that's one of the, you know, my life's challenges is trying to get people to call us sooner than they think they might need us. You know, sometimes someone will call a trustee uh, when they've already, you know, exhausted a bunch of other options, you know, perhaps delayed it and really suffered for a lot longer than they should. So if your first call is to a licensed insolvency trustee, it's a free call, it's confidential, and you're going to get the rules of the road. You're going to understand exactly what your rights and responsibilities are. And it's with knowledge comes a whole lot more more calmness and a whole lot of a better ability to make good decisions for your financial future. Now, I would think that being organized or getting your stuff organized would be really helpful in any situation, regardless of who you're talking to. 
That's right, Elaine. So that's our second one here. It's a do, and it's do be organized. And, you know, I'm not talking that you need to have spreadsheets, you know, with a ton of different tabs and macros and everything coming together to calculate your interest before the bank tells you what you owe. But as a minimum, you should really be able to take inventory of each of your accounts. What are the account numbers? What's the total balance? What's the monthly payment requirements? And, you know, if even getting to that level uh, is a bit tough, because sometimes people just ignore the problem for quite some time. They stop opening their mail. They just don't know where to start. Uh, where you can start is by getting a copy of your credit history report and just see, you know, does that give you a good base to start to understand your debt? Does it agree with what you think? Are there debts on there that you forgot that you owed? Are there inaccuracies? But you've got to get organized just so you know what kind of a problem that you're tackling. Um, and, you know, if you need help doing that, again, if you reach out to a trustee, we can tell you, here's how you pull your credit. Um, but we've got no greater sources of information than you. It's something the individual uh, is really just, just going to have to sit down and, and just start on a blank sheet of paper writing out that basic information. And I would think, uh, I mean, we know that we've been doing this show long enough that using credit, credit cards, that kind of thing is, is often the, the, the sort of the vehicle that gets some folks into trouble. So what do you do about that? What do you do with your credit when you're seeking this kind of help? Yeah, this one's a don't. And the don't is don't keep using your credit. So there's the old adage, if you find yourself in a hole, what's the first thing you should do? And it's stop digging. So a lot of folks, when they actually stop using their credit, they start to realize, oh, my God, I'm overspending on a monthly basis. And I had no idea because I was just, you know, paying off this balance with the other card. I had no idea I was actually my budget needed an adjustment. So what I suggest people to do is, you know, put the credit away, even just for a month or two, stop using it, get a sense of your monthly budget. Um, You're really not going to be able to see how you're going to be able to solve the problem if you keep going further and further into debt. And if you're in that situation that you can't figure it out, a licensed insolvency trustee sounds like the very best first step in that case because you need some kind of help and you need to be able to trust that help. Absolutely. One of the first things we do in a meeting is we sit down and we just start to build up a very basic budget. You know, what's your paycheck? Is it twice a month? Okay. What's your rent? How what's that as a percentage of your income? Um, you know, by looking at that budget, and then we can see, you know, is are you really having a problem because your credit's just too large and all the interest and the payments are putting you behind? Or is it the case you've got to make some hard decisions about where you can cut expenses or increase income to get yourself back into financial solvency? Now, what about savings? I know that Um, It just seems like common sense or a natural thing for people to do to, you know, look at their savings and say, okay, in order to get out of this situation, maybe this is what I should do. Look at my savings, look at my RRSPs, and that's often not the best solution at that point. Yeah, I would say it's never the best solution is to start to cash in your RRSPs to pay your debt. So this is our fourth, and it's a do, and it's do keep your RRSPs intact. Uh, it's over 10 years ago now the federal government changed the laws to protect RRSPs, so they're the same now as a company pension plan. If you have to deal with your debts in either a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, you're going to keep your company pension plan because that's right and just. You've worked your whole life. You deserve to have those retirement benefits. RRSPs are treated exactly the same, but the exception is you can't go and cash in your pension plan to pay your debts, but you absolutely can do that to pay. You can cash in your RRSPs, and that almost always puts people in a worse position. They're hit with a tax bill right away. It's usually not enough to solve the debt problem completely, and then where is that money when they need it for retirement? It's gone. So anybody that's considering cashing in your RRSPs, that's one of the most important pieces of guidance I can give. I've never seen a situation where that was the right decision. Okay, and really good for people to remember that. 
Um, I, I like this fifth one because it really needs an explanation. Don't mistake payments for progress. Yeah, so there's the, the old adage, you know, just because you're doing something, are you really doing anything? Are you making progress? Um, and I'm a little bit cynical sometimes, but, you know, I believe it, it, it's far too comfortable to just continue making the minimum payments on your debts, and all that does is put you further and further into debt. Often, you know, a $6,000 debt can keep you in debt for 40 years if it's on a department store credit card with 29% interest. Even a $1,000 debt can take 10 years to pay off. So if, if you think you're doing well because, oh, yeah, I honor all my minimums every month, but you don't look at the statements to say, well, you're on the 70-year payment plan, you've mistaken action for progress, and you really need to focus on what's going to get you out of debt. What about when it comes to filing for your the taxes, the Canada Revenue Agency? How do we deal with that? Is there sort of a, a rule of thumb there? Well, the rule of thumb is to file. Even if you owe money, it's very important that you file your taxes every year. It's really part of your civic duty. And oddly enough, owing CRA money is not as bad of a situation as having a bunch of unfiled tax years. CRA treats that as a worse situation because you're not fulfilling your obligations. Um, it also could be the case you might not get benefits you're entitled to. If you're going to try to apply for credit, they usually need to see your tax returns uh, to assess your income. So you really need to get your tax filings up to date. Um, CRA, I don't compliment them that much, but they've done an exceptional job in giving people online access to all of the tax documents that you might need to file your return. So even if you have nothing, you can get online access through CRA, probably get enough to get yourself caught up for a number of tax years, even without paying an accountant to do so. And, and does that mean if you owe CRA that it still makes sense to do that? Absolutely, especially okay. I would say if, if you owe CRA because, you know, that balance might even go down if you file the unfiled years, you know, based on some credits, uh, or even Got if it, it goes up, you can bet CRA probably knows more about you than you think. They're able to get your bank records without you even knowing about it. So there's really no benefit of you trying, you know, to, to stay off CRA's radar. It's better to file every year. And then, you know, that might trigger you to say, okay, I've got this tax liability. Let me deal with that with all of my other debts. And if you're going to deal with a trustee, part of the trustee's job is to help you get caught up on your your taxes so that we deal with the entire debt situation. Got it. Now, you sort of touched on this earlier in the segment about um, looking to friends or family. Uh, and I, let's go over that one a little with a little in a little more depth because it's super important not to do that. Yeah, it, so this is our seventh here, uh, is don't borrow from friends and family or have them co-sign debts. So I know it can be appealing, you know, maybe a child gets into trouble and the parents really want to help them by pay off the debt or, or co-signing a loan. What you need to realize is if you co-sign a loan, you're agreeing to pay 100% of that debt plus interest. It's not a 50-50 liability. Uh, and if you've co-signed a loan for someone, I have people in my office where I would love to be able to do a consumer proposal for them. We'll pay back, you know, a third of the debt, give them a new, new lease on life. But if a parent or a family member has co-signed that debt, they're really held back from proceeding because they know if they do that proposal, the creditor can go to the co-signer to get all the amounts that are unpaid and they don't want to put somebody in a tough situation. So it adds a whole emotional level to what's a financial matter uh, and it's typically a bad idea. You know, if family wants to help you out, what they should do is tell you, okay, get some good advice and if you end up doing a proposal, maybe we can help you with making some payments on that, but nothing that incurs direct liability from another person, a friend or a family member is generally a good idea yeah and i like this i like number eight and it's a don't don't pay for that advice and can you explain that one 
Yeah, this one's pretty simple. Just don't do it. <laughs> you know, if somebody's asking you for money to help you figure out your financial options when it comes to debt, you're probably being taken advantage of. There's no cost to sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee. You know, I typically meet with clients three or four times before we ever execute any formal filings. And a lot of people, after a couple of meetings, they actually don't need my help. And that's just fine. I can refer them to other resources or give them some tools. But you should not be paying anything. You're already in a tough financial situation. If someone wants an upfront fee, uh, you should do your research and figure out what you're getting for it. And usually the answer is you're not getting much that you wouldn't get for free with a trustee. Got it. And um, I like I like your number nine, do value your personal well-being more than your credit score. That's right. So any of our longtime listeners will know that, you know, we subscribe to the proposition here that a credit rating is a terrible barometer of your overall financial health. It's a great measure of how much money you actually make the banks every month because you're paying your interest. But a lot of the behaviors that drive a great credit rating are actually the opposite of what you should do to be getting out of debt. Um, so keep in mind, your credit rating can change over time. It's only important at certain points, maybe if you want to buy a house or a car, and if you're building towards those milestones, if you're in debt, it's really difficult for you to save a down payment for a house, you got to deal with that problem first. So preserving your credit rating, usually not the right idea to have overall financial health in the future if you're in debt. And just hit on number 10, and then we'll wrap up this segment. And it's a good one. I'm so thrilled we got through all 10, and it's don't delay seeking help. You know, Elaine, quite simply, I've been doing this work over 13 years now. I've never had somebody say they regret seeking help. I've had almost everybody say they regret suffering, taking so long to reach out for help. So really don't delay if you're suffering. There is help available to get you back on track. Here's the key, and this is the good information for you, to learn about your debt options. And that's really the key here, to, to figure out the best, uh, the best route to take. Connect with a licensed insolvency trustee in one of the Sands & Associates local BC offices, visit the website sans-trustee.com or better yet, call their toll-free number 1-800-661-3030 today. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So life after bankruptcy, financial setbacks don't have to be forever. We know that. And maybe here's what you should know about life after bankruptcy. If you're considering filing, already underway with filing or just finishing, you've probably got questions that would, you know, fit into this category or fit into this segment nicely. So Blair, will you sort of go through the summary of what happens during a bankruptcy? Um, What's important for people to understand? And then we can go through uh, some other good ideas to, to hold on to. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start, Elaine, because a lot of people have misconceptions, you know, that bankruptcy is this horrible, you know, life-defining event that you never recover from. Um, and, you know, in general, my job is great because I give people a lot of good news that bankruptcy is not as bad as you think, and it is a great solution to get people back to owing nobody anything. It's not for everybody. Again, we do, we do a lot of consumer proposals, but in many cases, bankruptcy can be a good option. And what bankruptcy is, it's a legal debt remedy. It allows you to resolve virtually all of your debt and achieve a financial fresh start. And when I say virtually, it really almost every debt that you owe can be included in a bankruptcy. The exceptions are things like child support, spousal support, and things like that. But standards like, you know, credit cards, lines of credit, uh, student loans, basically any normal consumer debt can be discharged by going through a bankruptcy uh, filing. And the decision to file for bankruptcy is yours. So there's no creditor. Uh, nobody can tell you that you don't have the right to get this relief. Uh, it's enshrined in Canadian law that if you find yourself in debt, and the limit is very 
too low. It's only you have to owe more than $1,000. Now, there's nobody I know that files bankruptcy for $1,000, uh, but you need to be aware that the eligibility for bankruptcy is just you're not able to make your payments, you're not able to pay your debts off in full, and you need the help of working with a trustee to get relief from your creditors. What happens when you're in bankruptcy is most people start and finish a bankruptcy in a nine-month period, which is just shocking to a lot of people who think it's a six- or seven-year process. Uh, but the vast majority of people that file for bankruptcy, what they do on a monthly basis for those nine months is report their income to the trustee by a monthly budget sheet. They complete two one-on-one financial counseling sessions, telling them about budgeting, about rebuilding their credit, how to move on after the process uh, is complete. And then they make some minimum payments. And if you're considered low income, which in the province of BC, if you're a single person is earning less than about $2,250 a month, if you're considered low income when you file for bankruptcy, it doesn't matter how much debt you're dealing with. It could be a few thousand, tens of thousands, or even the odd time we see millions of dollars of debt. Uh, you're required to pay just based on your income, which will be two hundred dollars per month for a nine-month period to go through a bankruptcy. So a lot of people are very surprised to hear those basic facts. I wanted to set the table a little bit so we just know what we're talking about about the process, but then let's get into how you recover after. Yeah, and I just before we go into the recovery part, mm-hmm. I just want to throw in there that a licensed insolvency trustee is the only person that can uh, put you into bankruptcy and work with you and, and get you out. Am I right about that? That's right. We can put you in there and get you out. That's right. So it's the individual's conduct that matters, of course, but it's not the case you need to hire a lawyer, you need to hire you know, your own advocate, uh, anything like that. A trustee is an independent officer of the court, and they exist to give people access to the legal remedy of bankruptcy at as little cost, little hassle as possible. Yeah, I'm the only one. So if somebody else can mm-hmm. tell you they can do that, the fact is they can't. Absolutely. Right. It's actually it's an offense. It's a crime for someone to say they can, they can file a bankruptcy if they're not a trustee. So definitely be wary of that. Okay, excellent. All right. So now let's do that walk uh, through what happens when a person's finished with the bankruptcy and has been discharged. Yeah, so what you're doing when you file for bankruptcy is nobody can stop you from starting the filing. And then when you work with the trustee, they're going to work with it to make sure you complete all the duties required. And as long as you've done the budget, you've come for the two counseling sessions, and you've paid the minimum fees, at the end of nine months, you receive what's called a bankruptcy discharge. And you consider that that it's a completion of the bankruptcy process. So what that means is that all of your debts are now legally discharged. They can never again attach to you in the future. So if you go out and become incredibly successful in the years following bankruptcy, you can do that unburdened by any of the debts that you had to discharge in the bankruptcy. So it really just gets you out of maybe years or even you know sometimes tens of years of carrying a debt that's been following you around forever. Uh, you can get away from that by getting your discharge from bankruptcy. Um, as part of the bankruptcy filing, uh, the trustee is going to make sure that you're caught up on your tax returns. They're going to get you filed completely up to date until the date of the bankruptcy. And then during the counseling sessions, we're going to tell you how you really stay in the good graces of CRA, filing things up to date, uh, and what you do to rebuild your credit. Okay. Um, do you want to list the other things that, that, a, that a, an, a licensed insolvency tr- uh, trustee will do, uh, like the compiling the final accounting of all the monies in the estate and all that, or can we just do a, a sort of a, an umbrella that they do all of that stuff? Yeah, I think I think we can just, you know, in general say, you know, the trustee is going to handle the dealings with all of the creditors. So when okay. you file for bankruptcy, the trustee steps in the middle between you and everybody you owe money to, and we don't care how aggressive these collectors have been with you, all that comes to a stop once the trustee is involved. And what happens in a bankruptcy is that if a person, um, you know, has an asset that has to be sold, which usually isn't the case, but if it happens, if there's some recovery back to creditors, the trustee deals with all of that, everything is transparent, you know, pays back maybe a partial amount on the debts, but for 
from the individual's perspective, they're not too worried about that. They trust the trustee is going to do their job appropriately. They're just focused on getting their discharge inside of the nine months. Got it. Now, I know that a lot of people worry about the impact that a bankruptcy can have on their ability to get credit in the future. So can you walk us through a little bit of, of those realities? Yeah, let me give you the first most important thing to take away from here is contrary to what you might have heard, bankruptcy is not a permanent mark on your credit history. So when someone tells me, you know, I don't want to file for bankruptcy because then I'll never be able to buy a house, I say, well, probably bankruptcy is going to put you in a better shape to buy a house sooner than if you continue to try to chisel out from under this twenty, thirty, or forty thousand dollars of debt that's charging you crazy interest every month. So what happens when you file for bankruptcy is most bankruptcies, as we said, they're done in nine months, some of them are a year longer, twenty-one months in total. From the day your bankruptcy finishes, it's going to be on your credit report for six years from that day, and then it drops away. If somebody pulls a credit report and it's been six years since the bankruptcy, it's like it never happened. It's not going to be a flag. It's not going to count against you from your credit report. Uh, Now, what's really important is that you're not untouchable for those six years, and the worst thing you could do would be to do nothing during those six years waiting for it to drop off. What most people do is they start rebuilding their credit very quickly, and that's what we counsel you to do. Uh, Not that we want to put you back into debt, but it is important sometimes to have access to some financial tools if you need them. So most of the time, within two to three years of a bankruptcy discharge. If you've done the right things, you've honored all of your obligations, paying your cell phone bill every month, for example, maybe gotten a secured credit card to show that you can rebuild your credit. Uh, Most people within two to three years, they could even get a mortgage, Elaine, uh, without some crazy risk premium at the same rates that someone who had never filed for bankruptcy before. So it really can be life-changing getting the debts put behind you and rebuilding your credit, even though for six years a bankruptcy will show. It's not for life, and it could be a much shorter period of time before you can really see a good impact after the bankruptcy. Well, you said that you can get a mortgage after a bankruptcy. What about the other stuff like a car loan, credit cards, that kind of thing? Yeah, with a car loan, typically within about a year or two after your bankruptcy, if you're doing all the right things, uh, you'd be able to get a car loan. You know, even during a bankruptcy, there are lenders that will look at you, they'll finance you, but typically it's at a bit of a higher cost. Uh, you know, a lot of lenders that we deal with are probably about 11.9, 12%, something like that of interest, uh, whereas, you know, a lot of uh, car dealers right now will say, well, you're closer to zero or three or 4%. So, you know, eventually it will get less expensive, but I wouldn't say, again, you're untouchable even within a bankruptcy because a car loan is a secured debt. Um, They know if you don't pay, well, they can come back and get the car. It's not going to be a total loss. So it's often easier to get a secured debt than it is another unsecured debt after the proceeding is complete. And what about credit cards? How do they work? Well, the day after you file for bankruptcy, you would expect that no one's going to want to advance you unsecured credit, and that's what a credit card is. It's a credit uh, where they don't have any assets you've pledged, so if you don't pay, they're not going to be able to collect from you. But what we encourage people to do, even during the bankruptcy, and especially right after they're discharged, is get what's called a secured credit card. And this is where you put down a deposit, you get a card with a lower limit, and it's different than a prepaid credit card, because a prepaid card, anybody can buy at any retailer, you know, even payday lenders sell them. They do nothing for your credit rating. When you apply for a secured credit card, it reports every month that you've paid your obligations, and that's going to be so key to rebuilding your credit going forward. And I think the most important thing as we end this segment is that um, if you've got questions, go see a licensed insolvency trustee. Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, the very best place to start. They're easy to access. They've got a 1-800 number, 1-800-661-3030 for that free first consultation. Uh, there's offices all over British Columbia, and these people are so knowledgeable. You're listening to Dollars and Cents.
Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we've talked about on the show, make sure you go to the website, sands-trustee.com. It's just chock-a-block full of good information, lots of questions and answers, which is what this segment is all about. Debt help frequently asked questions. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of those questions, the most, are sort of the most common questions that you get. Uh, of course, Blair, um, it, it's a tough time for people. I mean, it's a tough time any any time. But right now, of course, it's even more challenging for so many more with um, people looking at bankruptcy, uh, consumer proposals, countless others just trying to manage their debts in this time. You must get a ton of questions, you and your team, every day of, you know, what's the best course of action to take. So can we talk about the, the most frequently asked questions that you guys get? Yeah, of course, Elaine, and that's how I've structured the segment today. You know, looking back over the last few months, these are the most common things that people are coming to us wanting to know about, and usually that's how it starts when people reach out to us. Like, I have a question. I can't find the answer anywhere else. I really need to know about this, uh, and we're the best resource for debt help questions. You know, when you're dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee, you know you're getting the straight goods. You're getting the legal advice that you need, someone that's licensed and regulated by the government. So, yeah, today let's talk. I think we've got about four or five of the really most important questions we've been asked lately. So Blair, what is the number one question that people ask you? Yeah, one of the more common questions we get these days is how do I find out who I owe money to and how can I access my credit report, which usually is a good answer to the first question there. Um, you know, a good place to start to figure out who you owe money to is by contacting the credit bureaus. And there's two credit bureaus in Canada. There's Equifax and there's TransUnion. And you shouldn't hesitate to reach out to either of these bureaus. You know, strictly speaking, you're not their client. Their client is the banks, the lenders that reach out to them to basically get information about you. But you are their product. Your data is what they have on file. And you have the right to access that data to make sure sure it's accurate, uh, and, you know, to take the benefit of having some central view of where the creditors are saying what your obligations are. Uh, So you can get copies of your credit history report a number of ways. You can do it online, which usually there's a fee associated, but not always, and we'll talk about that, and that's pretty immediate. Uh, You can do it by mail, which has no fee attached to it, which obviously that's a better deal there, uh, but you do have to wait a little bit. Uh, What's happened recently is TransUnion has started to offer what's called an online consumer disclosure which is not quite as in-depth as a credit report, but it'll get you about 80-90% of the way there of figuring out exactly who you owe money to and are you behind and things like that. And anybody can access that for free. Uh, If you go to TransUnion's website, it's called Consumer Disclosure. Uh, You put in some basic information. You know, they'll try to verify looking at, well, what accounts do you have open and did you live at this street address? Um, but then you'll be able to get a copy of your credit report, and I encourage everybody to read it in detail, go page by page. Uh, each account that you have should be there, should be listed with a credit limit, with your payment history, and quite often people do find inaccuracies, discrepancies, and it's well within your best interest to get those corrected early, because oftentimes I have frantic calls from individuals where you know they're sitting at the car dealership or at the mortgage brokers, and they found there's an inaccuracy on their credit report, and getting those fixed can take a little bit of time because you need the Bureau to do an investigation. So it's never a bad idea to access your credit, you know, at least once or twice a year. But it's also important to know that not all of your debts are going to be on that credit report. So 
most creditors do report to both bureaus, not all, but most. But what's important is that debts like CRA for taxes, for student loans, they typically don't appear in your credit report unless perhaps a third-party collector has been engaged or something like that, which doesn't happen that often. Uh, so be aware that, yeah, you might not see all of your debts, but it will get you a really good starting point uh, by accessing your credit report. And again, online or by mail, it's free. To get it by mail, if you go to our website, sandstrustee.com, uh, down on the bottom, there's a link uh, to client resources. And right from there, there's a form you can send off to get your credit reports. And I would think, Blair, that if you owe uh, CRA money, uh, they will be in contact with you, or, or will they? They will, yes. It's yeah. safe to say, yeah, you'll be getting, you know, not often, not always a call, but you generally will be getting some mail notices first. Uh, and then if you don't respond to those, yeah, typically you will start getting some calls, and then eventually they might escalate the collection activities. Right. So you're going to hear from them before it goes to a third party is, is really what oh, yes. I was asking. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They, they wouldn't assign a debt until, yeah, I think they've, they've made all the good faith efforts to reach out to you. They, they don't want to get third parties involved typically. So what do folks do if, if they're sort of down that, down that path a little bit far and creditors and collection agencies are already contacting them? Yeah, so in that situation, I sometimes get asked this, well, what if my credit is bad? You know, if my credit is bad, I've already tried for a debt consolidation loan, they wouldn't give it to me, you know, or even if my credit was good, I couldn't get a debt consolidation loan. So I get asked, you know, are there solutions I can, I can embrace if I have bad credit? And, you know, the answer is yes. And you have to realize that even if you have great credit right now, um, any solution that you take, whether you're just getting an interest freeze on your debt, you know, if you're working with a credit counselor to pay everything off in full, but they're going to save you the interest, all the way if you're working with a trustee and you're paying back, you know, 25 or 30 cents on the dollar of the debt, it's going to have an impact on your credit rating. So I encourage people to, to understand, you know, your overall financial health is what's most important and having a temporary setback, a temporary, um, you know, a derogatory mark on your credit because you've had to restructure your debt is not a life sentence and it'll often push you forward to having a better financial outcome in the future. Um, so just be aware credit scores can change dramatically in a short amount of time. Um, and even though you know something like a debt consolidation loan you might not be able to access if you have poor credit, a consumer proposal absolutely can be accessed regardless of your credit rating. That's not a requirement. The requirement is do you have the ability to make some reasonable payments on your debts, and regardless if you've been delinquent for years, it all matters is what are you prepared to do going forward. That's the eligibility for a consumer proposal. Got it. Is there some specific debt legislation questions that that you get from people? I, I, I my first thought is, would there be? But there probably is, right? People who have done the research and thought, okay, wh- what does it actually say in law that I have mm. to pay attention to? Well, and, and it can get confusing, too, because if you're trying to understand, you know, what can a creditor do, and you start to go down to the legislation, you know, you're reading the Limitations Act and the Court Order Enforcement Act, you know, these are written by lawyers for lawyers for the most part here, so they're not that, you know, easily for, for consumption of the average person, but I get the general question, you know, can a creditor do X if I owe them money? You know, so I owe, pick a big bank, I owe this bank money, you know, can they show up tomorrow and start carting away my furniture? Or this collector told me the other night, you know, next week I'm going to be taking 30 percent of your paycheck and there's nothing you can do about it. Can they really do that? And the answer is creditors have far less remedies than you probably think. 
So without the, without the permission of the court, uh, most creditors really have nothing that they can do to you other than call you, harass you, and threaten you. Now, there's a couple exceptions there. And again, most people never get, get to proceed to a court action. Some do, but very, very few. So most of the time, a lot of the threats that people are getting from collectors, they're pretty empty threats. They're intended to intimidate you uh, into making payments, maybe at the expense um, of you know paying for things that the family really needs, um, but you just want to get the collector off your back. Now, exceptions to this is CRA. So CRA, absolutely, Canada Revenue Agency, does not need court's permission to go and implement a wage garnishment, which is where they can take, you know, 30% of your wages typically. Uh, They can put a lien on your property. If you've got a house, uh, even with a mortgage, they can step in right behind that mortgage and say, well, if this property is sold, I want the money to pay the tax debt before the individual gets any of their equity. And they can freeze your bank account, you know, virtually overnight. Now, most of these actions, they're done to get your attention. They're done because they've tried to reach out to you, they've tried to work with you, uh, and they see no other means of protecting their debt. Um, but be aware, CRA has the ability to act quickly, to act suddenly, and to really have an impact on you where other creditors don't. Where other creditors do have the ability to really have an immediate impact if you are where you owe money. So if you've got a card uh, with Bank X and you if credit card with Bank X and you also po- deposit your monthly paycheck uh, into an account there, they're able to take money out of your account for missed payments with no authorization from you. And that could mean you got your bonus and you thought that was going to pay your rent and suddenly the rent's not there because the creditor has scooped your bank account to pay their debt. But that's only if you have a credit card at the same bank where you deposit your paycheck. So a great piece of advice I give to everybody is to never bank where you owe money. It's the best practice in good times and bad, and it just protects you. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I've, I've taken that to heart. And, and if you haven't yet as a listener, uh, just really think about that. It's, uh, it's, it makes good sense to me. Now, do, do debts ever expire? That's an interesting one. And the answer is yes, sometimes. So debts to CRA, again, they're in a special class they don't expire. Um, And certain debts that you would think shouldn't expire, you know, like a child support or alimony payment or a court fine, there's no limitation period on those. But for standard consumer debts, there's a two-year basic legal liability period in the province of BC. It used to be six years, but now it's two years, and you you may not have heard about that. What that means is that if you stop paying your debts, if you're unable to make meaningful payments on your debts, sometimes it's better to stop paying at all, uh, because then you start to trigger this two-year legal liability period. And if a creditor has not taken you to court within two years of you making your last payment, they lose the right to ever take you to court. So it doesn't mean the debt is gone and you don't owe the money. They can still harass you. They can still send you statements, but they could never compel you by law. They could never seize your assets or your wages if two years have gone by from the date of your last payment and no legal action has been taken against you. Got it. And uh I always, we've talked about this before in the show, and it's a really important piece about co-signing a loan um, and, and then what? What, you know, that whole thinking that my car is going to be repossessed, all of those kinds of questions. Uh, I, w- I bet that comes up for folks. 
Yeah, so a couple of questions in there. So the first on the co-signing is the really key takeaway there that we inform people is when you co-sign a debt, you're not signing on for your 50-50 share. It's what's called joint and several liability, which means if one person doesn't pay, the other person's required to pay 100% of the debt outstanding. And it can really be heartbreaking when I'm sitting down with somebody and saying, we've got this great solution, we're going to be able to help you pay back, you know, 25, 30 cents in the dollar. But then they let me know, well, you know, mom or dad or brother or sister or friend has co-signed for one of these debts. And I say, well, yeah, I can protect you for sure. You're going to only be required to pay back that portion. But odds are you're going to feel morally obligated to pay back that co-signer over time. And then you've just given that creditor the ability to get all their money back from you, where legally, if you hadn't done that, they would be required to just abide by the terms of the proposal. And that's why you've often said that it's so important for folks not to get uh, co-sign loans or get friends and family to give them a hand. I def- that's definitely a recommendation. Okay. So in wrapping up, I just want to remind you again about the website, sans-trustee.com. It's just chock-a-block full of good information, tons of questions and really good answers. Or if you want to take the next step, give them a call at 1-800-661-3030. Get that free consultation, sit down with the experts, and find an office near you. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. I love this segment. I love the title of it. Think you have a debt problem? Here's what to do. And I mean, this this will fit for everybody, regardless of where you are in that debt situation and and unsure about next steps, this is going to cover all kinds of things, which is super great. So we're going to learn about what you should do if you think you have a debt problem and what to expect if you're getting free professional advice from a BC licensed insolvency trustee, which of course Blair Manton is, and that's who's going to give us all kinds of good information about the common reasons, first of all, why people need professional debt help and what are the kinds of scenarios that you encounter Blair that you and your team see on a not a regular basis but on a pretty frequent basis yeah, Elaine. So there's a number of scenarios that we see quite often. And, you know, usually it's the life events that tend to trigger things. So, you know, it's divorce or relationship breakdown. It might be an income interruption due to an illness or an accident uh, or an injury, you know, of yourself or of a dependent. You know, having a sick family member can be just very, very much a strain on many aspects of the family and the finances, are, you know, aren't immune to that. Or it can be job related. There could be a layoff or reduction in pay. Um, you know, a lot of, of impacts of folks having income reduced. They might have been just doing okay, but kind of on the knife's edge without an emergency fund that's there. And I think it's helpful for people to know, too, you know, just how many people in Canada do successfully seek seek help every year for their debts uh, and and restructure them out the other side. So in 2019, calendar year 2019, it was 137,178 individuals in Canada, so that's not businesses, that's individuals, uh, chose to file either a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, uh, and that was up almost 10% from the year before. Uh, What's also interesting is now the majority of individuals that work with a trustee, so more than 60% of that 137,000 people they're not filing bankruptcies anymore. They're filing consumer proposals. You know, a year ago, that was 56%. You know, 10 years ago, that was less than a third. So there's been a massive Mm -hmm. shift towards people actually filing consumer proposals to deal with their debts. 
And in terms of who's filing the proposals, you know, about 40% of the total number of insolvencies, it's individuals really right in the middle of their high earning, uh, you know, uh, income years, which is the years of 35 to 49 years old. That's nearly 40% of the people that file for bankruptcy or make a consumer proposal. So if you're listening to this and thinking that you're alone uh, in dealing with your debt problems, that nobody else is going through a tough time, well, 137,000 people last year would say different. These are people that worked with trustees. They implemented a legal restructuring option like a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy, and they're generally much better off for having done so. I think that's so great that you threw that in there because that's one of the key things, right, that people get isolated. They think that nobody can understand that embarrassment, that shame. All of those emotions come up for folks when dealing with debt or, or first when they first start seeing that they do have a problem. I, I think it's a great reminder for folks that there's lots of people out there that have been able to take action, take steps, and, and, and uh, license insolvency trustee just makes so much good sense as a, as a step to take. So what's the first thing you recommend people do when they think they might have a debt problem? You know, the first thing to recognize is if you think you have a problem, almost always do. So it's key just not to delay, not to think the situation is going to resolve itself, not to count on some outside factor that's going to impact you positively. You know, maybe there's some investment you think is really going to pay off. Uh, it's not an insignificant number of people that their retirement plan is based on winning the lottery. You know, and that's just not going to happen for the vast majority of us. So it's really taking a real look and looking at what are the warning signs. So, you know, and the a lot of these are really intuitive. So are you feeling worried or stressed about your money and your general finances? You know, that's a huge warning sign. If you're not sleeping well at night, you're waking up early, your heart's racing when you're opening your statements, or you're just so scared to open your statements, that's a great indication that you probably should be talking to somebody about your debt. Um, you know, another indication that's relatively subtle, and again, it's really comfortable to be in this in this situation, but if you're only able to make your minimum payments every month, you know, your credit rating is going to be good. The bank's going to be really happy with you because they're making lots of money on interest, but you're really not helping yourself in the long term because minimum payments are not designed to get you out of debt. They're designed to maximize the amount of, of interest that the bank's going to be able to collect from you. So those are a couple really key warning signs. If you've got the worries and if you're only able to make the minimums, uh, they're probably an indication that you should be trying to do something different to actually deal with this debt issue. Now, I know that those are sort of the, the not the minor, but the first small ones. What are the really serious signs that you know you're in a situation that you've got to take action on? Yeah, Elaine, that's a great question. And sometimes these things can escalate in the space of even a few weeks or a couple of months. It can go from, hey, you know, I think I've got a bit of a debt problem to, my God, I'm missing payments. The collectors are calling me nonstop, you know, all to the point where you might have a legal action being taken against you, your wages or your bank account being seized. Um, so if any of those things are happening, you know, something a little bit more subtle is, are you borrowing from your family or friends? That's never a good indication that things are going okay. You know, maybe if it's a small amount of money just to get you through a, a defined period, but anything significant is a warning sign. And are you using assets to pay down debts or considering doing so? Are you looking around your apartment and saying, you know, I can liquidate this for this amount of money, and that's not for you to live, that's to go and make payments on your debts? Um, Those are big warning signs. Excellent. And I guess the next thing is, okay, I see these problems, I see these issues. Now, what do I do? What's my, who who do I turn to for help to try to deal with this debt situation? So absolutely, a licensed insolvency trustee is going to be your best first call, and I wish we were more people's first call because quite often people end up taking some steps that aren't always in their best interest. You know, we can still help, but we wish they hadn't taken these steps before because it can make things a little bit more difficult. And, you know, that can be disposing of assets. 
So, you know, sometimes people are worried, um, you know, I've got this asset that's in my name, I think it might be taken from me. So they might sell it for a very low price, they might give it to a family member. And that's not good. That can be viewed as a fraudulent conduct. Uh, you know, you're taking an asset, and you might not even be aware that asset could never be removed from you no matter what, because the government protects it with an exemption. But if you go and transfer an asset, you know, you're, you're con- engaging in conduct that could come back, you know, negatively in the future. Um, you know, sometimes we talk about this a lot with cosine debts uh, or high interest debts, you know, trying to borrow your way out of a situation or enlarging the problem by getting other people involved. Uh, one huge warning sign that I see uh, is using payday loans. So payday loans are often the last uh, lender of resort. Uh, they're very high interest. They're easy to qualify for, but it's usually the case when I see a client, they don't have just one. They're juggling five, 10, even 15 of these payday loans. And you want to talk about a stressful situation. It's trying to divide up your paycheck amongst that many people who are saying you owe them money with high interest charges. So if any of those things that you're doing, you're, you're not helping your situation, you're probably increasing your stress level uh, and delaying the ability for yourself to get help. And that concept of uh, deferring payments to one to pay the other creditors, for example, if you're doing that with CRA uh, to pay somebody else, boy, oh boy, that's got to be a surefire sign that, that things are not going well. Of course, yeah. If CRA is looking at you and saying, well, you're paying everybody else but us, well, that's going to trigger CRA perhaps to start saying, well, we're going to start taking money right from your employer or start freezing your bank account. Uh, So do be careful, yeah, if you're putting off CRA at the expense of other creditors. And engaging those debt consultants with the fees, and I, I know we've talked about this before too, but if somebody wants you to pay a huge amount of money for them to help you get out of debt, that's, that's just not a good sign. Oh, yeah, it's a huge warning sign. Again, nice, nice little business for the, for the advisor there, but for the individual, there's nothing that they could get from a debt advisor, and in fact, less because a debt advisor can't give you a consumer proposal, can't help you implement a bankruptcy or a proposal. Um, so, you know, it, it might feel like things are being promised. You know, you can deal with your debts. So there's no impact to your credit. Just pay this fee. Uh, in general, it's not going to give you a successful outcome. And in closing, of course, the very best option to take, the very first call to make is with a licensed insolvency trustee because they're actually going to help you with the overall process and help you figure out what steps to take. That's right, Elaine. So, you know, there's no cost for you to deal with a licensed insolvency trustee to have initial conversations to get to the point where you're ready to implement a legal strategy. And there's no referral required. So you don't need to phone up your accountant and say, hey, can you refer me to a trustee? You just phone up the trustee. If you're calling Sands and Associates, we'll greet you very empathetically, sympathetically. We understand these situations are tough. And we're going to give you all the information you need to make a great decision. Um, You know, you might be surprised that a lot of the things you're able to keep if you have to go through a bankruptcy, you don't lose everything. You'd be very surprised at the amount of debts we can deal with and how you're going to feel respected every step of the way. And if you've got any questions and you don't want to make that first call, that's okay. Go to the website, sans-trustee.com. The website is just filled with really good questions and really good answers that will sort of help you figure out exactly where you are in your situation. Um, You can make a a call very easily. We've got a 1-800 number. It's 1-800-661-3030. Get that first free uh, sit-down interview meeting, as well as to find an office near you, and they're literally all over British Columbia. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. 
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.